0: We want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 49 verses 1 to 28 and the title is Until Shiloh Comes. Until Shiloh Comes. I'll explain later. The time has come for the old patriarch Jacob to say his last goodbyes. Last week we saw him alone as his time of departure from this world was near, he summoned Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And both Ephraim and Manasseh were his grandchildren, but they were adopted as his own sons. That was, there was a bit of a ceremony there with that whole process. But now he calls the rest of the boys. And before he leaves this world, he gathers his sons around his bedside to Speak to them one last time. And his words, his words are a lasting testimony to God's providence throughout his life and a trust in his promises despite the fact that Jacob was sometimes all over the place. God was already setting Israel apart in the land of Egypt. Egypt. We spoke about this, that God had given them the land of Goshen where they will be together, grow together into the millions as his peculiar, particular people protected from the temptations to mix with the Egyptians or back home to mix with the Canaanites. Now Jacob's last 17 years were very good. We're very good compared to his sacrifice in the past years. He's 147 years old, so 130 hard years and now his last years are pretty good. But he's not getting carried away with the ease and the comfort of his retirement. Always he has before his eyes the, the greater vision, God's promises back in the land that God had given them. So let's have a look at these verses. Verses 1 and 2, the final gathering. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. A very tender moment, you would think very special moment. Uh, maybe some of you have already experienced this in the deathbed of a loved one, the final goodbyes. Maybe some of you already know exactly what it feels. Maybe this is something that you yourself are planning when the time comes or this is a perhaps how you would like to go with a family all around. His words speak are very deliberate, they're very chosen and his words speak of the days to come. There are blessings, there are curses, there are judgments and there are promises. And these prophecies don't just start here but they punctuate, they come right throughout the whole of the book of Genesis from beginning to end. Remember how Jacob for most of his life sort of came across as a Sort of a weak, passive father, not too involved in the lives of his children. But in his final days, it's quite noticeable how he steps up a few years and pretty much drills his sons between the eyes. Parents, especially today, sometimes find it hard to tell our children the truth. Because we are competing with a system of education that has uh, effectively tried to take the whole process of education away from the family and into the schools and into society at, at large. But as Christians we believe that education, a discipline and all of that starts in the home. That's exactly why the enemy is targeting families. There's no surprise there. But the influence of the world does impact families, even Christian families, of the way we are to talk to our kids, the things we are to say, and even read some of the Christian counselling books and you'd be surprised. Parents, therefore, find it hard to tell the children the truth. Our society has been caught up in this train call self-esteem where we don't want to say or do anything that will jeopardise their sense of worth. So we tend to bring them up in cotton wool. But we know very well from past generations just yesterday we're celebrating Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day, the greatest generation, those who Fought, died to gain, to maintain our freedom. Fought in our land, in in other parts of the world, mostly. And yet, you cannot fight in an army unless you are disciplined, unless you follow orders. Why is it different in a home? Why is it different in society? Remember that the most rebellious being that ever has ever lived, is Satan. Apart from the boundaries that God has placed upon him, Satan basically does whatever he wants. Now, I know that we sometimes affectionately describe our little children as little devils, but that term doesn't sort of fit by the time they are teenagers or into the 20s and into their thirties when they continue to behave like devils. No good comes from any of that. But Jacob here is not holding back. He is setting before his sons the future, especially in the resettlement of the land of Canaan later on. Blessings is, 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 is a big word in Genesis, we know, and it is, is, is used here in, in the in broader sense of the term and, and, and obviously not all of these are the nicest sort of blessings that you would want to pronounce on someone. It will be 400 years for these things to be fulfilled but one day they will come into the land and they will possess it and he speaks of their settlement in particular regions in the land that they will possess. It is a confidence of the, of the fact that of God has got this that we can trust his promises, ultimately. Now the first six sons in the list are, this is the way that Moses, who wrote this, arranged that the first six sons of the list are the offspring of Jacob and Leah. The next four are the sons of the concubines of Rachel and Leah. And the last two sons are the children of Jacob and his beloved Rachel. It is interesting that few chapters as you go um, into Deuteronomy, a few books down the road in Deuteronomy chapter 33, as the people are about to cross the Jordan from Egypt back into the promised land, Moses blesses the 12 tribes of Israel Just and he, and he pretty much looks back. He's reminiscent of the words of Jacob now to the original 12 tribes tribes, the 12 sons. Now the details of Jacob's prophecy to each of his sons are amazingly accurate. In fact this passage has been thoroughly scrutinised by Bible critics who can't believe that these words were uttered way before they took place because Bible critics usually think that prophecy has happened and therefore we write it as prophecy even though you know, it's happened a few years later, so they cannot understand that God is actually someone who knows the future. Imagine that. But these prophecies are actually both. They are both retrospective and prospective in nature. By that I mean that they look back and then they look forward. They look back to the things which these men, these boys have done in their lives, good and evil. And, And then they look forward into the future as to how these characteristics will play out in years to come. And in verse 10, however, there is is something really special. And we're going to talk about that. It looks far beyond even the land of Canaan. It looks way, way into the future. A time when Judah's reign will not end. It will be increased in the reign of Shiloh. And Jewish and Christian commentators from the earliest times have recognised that Shiloh is the Messiah, the very Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfilment of Shiloh. So let's have a look at the the boys and uh, we're going to look at them in groups. And we're going to jump from one verse to another, just because that sort of fits better so we can see a little bit more about what uh, Moses is doing here. First of all, from verses 3 to 7 we look at the deplorables. I've got to thank uh, Hillary Clinton for this. Um, she, she blamed everybody that voted for Donald Trump as being deplorable anyway. Thank you, Hillary. Uh, the deplorables. Reuben, the firstborn, should have received a double portion of the inheritance. Yet here are the words. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honour, excelling in power, turbulent as waters. You will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger, and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Reuben should have been the leader, the firstborn, the leader of the brothers. He should have been the one to defend his father's honour. Reuben, as the firstborn, should have received twice the normal inheritance as everybody else. That was his privilege. But as we know, it was given to Ephraim and Manasseh. He should have been the one to defend his father's honour, not defile it by sleeping with his father's wife. And this one act of indulgence actually robbed him of his privileges as the firstborn. Like King David after him, he paid a very high and terrible price for a night of pleasure. Many men in ministry and many fathers of families for a night of indulgence in pleasure have destroyed everything that God had given them. So, Reuben was a bit like water. That's, what, uh, Jay, that's how turbulent as the water he says. Water is an unstable compound. When it is poured out, it always seeks to go to the lowest level, doesn't it? In your life, you don't want to go to the lowest level. Flow wherever it goes, downstream. When it is cold, it freezes. When it is hot, it boils, eventually it simply evaporates and disappears. Reuben was like that. Instead of being a leader among his brethren, he was unstable, ever changing and moody. He was weak and undisciplined. And true to Jacob's prophecy, the Reubenites never produce a leader. They never produce a judge or a king or a prophet of any kind for Israel. They actually never entered the promised land. They have stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Next, Jacob turns his attention to Simeon and Levi in verses 5 to 7. These guys were filled with cruelty and violence. They acted impulsively and recklessly and caused great damage when his father was settling in the land of Shechem. These men did as they pleased without regard for the consequences or the the, the witness of the family in the land in which they were living. Remember when they took vengeance when their sister was raped? A horrible act which is made horribly worse with the manslaughter. And at least Reuben, well, at least, I'm saying Reuben tried to hide his sin. But these guys were all out there. They were in your face. They, they were actually boasting about what they did. And both of these tribes, Simeon and Levi, indeed were scattered, as the prophecy says. The tribe of Simeon all but disappeared. And the tribe of Levi were not given land. They were scattered for the purpose of becoming ministering priests. They were the Levitical priests of the land. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? The the first three tribes, uh, as much as they suffered loss for their sins, Jacob's prophecies about them were still a blessing. They retained their place in God's chosen family, enjoyed the benefits of God's promises as Jacob's heirs. But there are also consequences, aren't there? The lesson is clear. Our actions determine our future blessings in God's program and the choices that we make today as God's children will not only affect your life and my life in the here and now. Your actions have consequences for your descendants as well for generations to come we must learn we must learn from Reuben and Simeon and Levi that we cannot live recklessly with abandon and just do as you please as hard as it is to live a disciplined life that is what you've got to aim for. In our evening service, we did a whole series on the spiritual discipline. That's where we're going to be heading if we want to mature and grow in Christ. One day, one day, the Bible assures us in two Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. He says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All, all of us." So that each of us may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. God, the righteous judge, sees everything. We must continually recognise that one day we will give account before the throne of God. Don't live your life for the here and now. Keep in mind in your actions, is this honouring to God or not? I will have to give account one day before him. Next, we look at the acceptable, verses 13 to 21, and then there's a jump to verse 27, the acceptable. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His brother will extend towards Sidon. His border, sorry. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a scrawny donkey living down among the sheepfolds. And in verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning. He devours the prey in the evening. He divides the plunder. Jacob now shares brief words with the other seven of his sons. In poetic style, uh, the images of, you know, if you picked up in these verses as I was reading, there are images there of, of different animals and, and different things because they, there's a play on the son's name as well which doesn't sort of come across in the, in the English but it's there in the Hebrew. The central theme uniting each image, however, is for these seven sons, the acceptable, is one of prosperity Mostly they're going to be blessed. Jacob speaks to Zebulun, who will live in the waterfront, not a bad spot, waterfront properties, by the seashore and will be involved in the shipping business. Is a car? Well, he prefers the, the agricultural life. He was strong and capable. But also passive. He liked to put his hammock under his mango tree and just have a long siesta. Comfortable, lazy, because, you know, he had everything. You need food? Well just wait for the mango to drop. You know, you don't have to work too hard. It's all good, mate. Just go, you know. Just wait for your check to come every now and then. It's it's all fine. Don't don't stress too much. And because of his attitude, it says here that this scrawny donkey, he was skinny, he wasn't fat, he just ate whatever was available. He actually became a a servant to the Canaanites. They became servants who became their masters. Then Dan, we're not going to look at all the brothers by the way, Dan would be a judge in, in Israel. And this prophecy came to reality, obviously, during the life of Samson. He was a judge, big, mighty Samson. Now, Dan's victories benefit all of Israel. Yet this tribe led Israel, unfortunately, into idolatry and became known as the centre by the time of Amos. Amos, the prophet, became a centre of idolatry in Israel. Now, in the midst of this particular pronouncement, this particular prophecy about Dan, it is almost as if Jacob just holds his, his train of thought and is taken to another plane where he, he cries out, he cries out, I look for your deliverance, O Lord. He knows his son's wayward heart and where he will end up. And he is praying for God to be merciful with covenant promises. I look for your deliverance, O Lord. Ultimately, of course, Jacob knows that the future of the nation of Israel does not depend on his 12 sons, but rather on God who would one day send the deliverer. The seventh acceptable son is Benjamin, verse 27. And Jacob calls the, uh, the runt of the litter, I hope you know that expression, he calls the runt of the litter a ravenous wolf. So far from being the, the little weakling, he is actually a ravenous wolf. The tribe of Benjamin had a reputation for being fierce, aggressive, producing many warriors in Israel's rich history. You have the, uh, the lefty, the left-handed Ehud. You had King Saul. You have Jonathan, his son. And there's another famous Benjamite in the New Testament. Any idea who he was? Saul of Tarsus, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul, is an unbelievable hero for the Gospel. And I guess, I guess little Ben learned some toughness having to live with 11 other brothers. And God bless his tribe. Now we go to the responsible, verses 8 to 12 and then 22 to 26. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub. Judah, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler star from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. We In the order of things, we go back to to verse 8, and we pick up Judah after the the deplorable three. And after everything that was said to the first three, it's almost, I I could imagine Judah standing there around dad's dying days, dying moments, and Judah's just waiting for dad to unleash on him. He should have been worried because Judah was no clean skin. The whole business with Tamar and all of that and the rest. However, when the old man spoke, he spoke of only blessing and praise. He spoke about the Lord, the lion, the scepter of power. Judah never mentioned, never brings up Judah's evil. So what made the difference, you would say? This doesn't even seem fair. Well, you see, a few years before before Joseph, he confessed it all in chapter 44. Judah steps up to the plate. He confesses his sins. And that is why he receives such a blessing at the judgment seat of Jacob, his father. And, and so the blessing of Judah is, is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the. God's grace that when we repent when we confess and repent we receive God's forgiveness this gives us hope it has to give us hope nobody's too far from the kingdom of God but you have to humble yourself come before him God knows our lists our long list of sins. But, 1 John nine, a beautiful verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God. I hope that you and I constantly avail ourselves of this as children of God. And if you're not a children of God yet, You haven't got that relationship with the creator of the universe, the saviour. You have to come before him, confess, and he will save you. Start the ball rolling, start that relationship so you can, so there is something you can do. It's not a hopeless situation. Now, the blessing on Judah is. The greatest, as we can see, the greatest of the prophecies, both in its length and in its range. It stretches far into the future. It speaks of a a dominion that Judah would have, not only over the other tribes, but over the enemies, over their enemies as well. Most importantly, it speaks of the reign of the Messiah. Look at the the incredible language that is used. He ties his donkey to a vine. You don't usually tie a donkey to a vine because the branches aren't that strong enough. But this is a big vine. Remember when the the spies went into the promised land and, and the grapes were big as grapefruit? That's how big they were. It must have been a pretty big vine, I'll tell you that. They're so prosperous, the tribal Judah, so prosperous to the point that they don't wash their clothes in water. No, no, no. They wash their clothes in wine. Wow. There's so much of it. There's an abundance. But there is also, there is, there is a hint here that this refers more than that. It also refers to the, the blood, the, ultimately the blood of Christ and how we can be, wash ourselves We've, wash us in the righteousness of Christ alone. Now every king in Israel except for Saul came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was, is from the tribe of Judah. After Christ there have been no kings so even this far back Jacob is already pointing to Jesus, the rightful ruler. He is the one. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords, not just Israel, but over the nations. He is the one that Revelation 5 5 calls the lion of Judah on the throne of that old chorus. But there is more, there is more here. It's so rich. There is more, he says, until the NASB and the King James Versions actually uses the word until Shiloh comes in verse ten. That's the expression. And the NIV, the other versions actually translated, which is a correct translation to whom it belongs. To whom belongs what? The royal scepter. Until the one to whom the royal sceptre belongs, until he comes the sign of power Shiloh like the, the, the when we talk about seed in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 the seed of the woman is the same one here as the coming messiah the very same one Jacob is saying that until the one to whom all royal authority belongs comes the tribe of judah will always have a lawgiver in its ranks. Isaiah chapter 9, we just read the first couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 9, that Messianic, those Messianic verses that we read at Christmas time and there it actually mean, it mentions a couple of the tribe living in a land of darkness and the light will come. And then, Obviously in chapter 9 verses 5 and 6 it talks about his reign. Ezekiel expounds on this. He says that the crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. Ezekiel 21, 27. The marvellous plans of God. And Judah... He's of course the father of the the Jewish people, and all of pretty much all of the the tribes of Israel come under that Jewish umbrella now. So the the prophecy has been fulfilled. Now, finally, we come to to Joseph. We looked at his life at length, isn't there? And And the beautiful story of this man next week is our final study in the book of Genesis and uh, we'll look a little bit more but just say a couple of things now. It comes as no secret I'm sure that Joseph's lot was, was blessing. Life didn't come easy. Served on a platter to him and again this word blessing is so so Appears so often in, in Genesis, doesn't it? Occurring eighty-eight times in the book of Genesis. And here, it, it's almost like a, a fireworks display in the, at, you know, New Year's Eve and that type of thing in the harbour, where when there's a five-ten minute fireworks display, and suddenly. When you, you know that the fireworks is coming to an end when they're just bang, 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 bang. It's all over the place. There's an explosion, an excitement that is, that's the way it's planned. And that's exactly what we, what we get here. Six times he just, one after the other, there's this climax of the last words of Jacob. He was blessed. Jake, Jacob knows that Joseph Despite his suffering, despite the difficulty, he was blessed in everything he did. And Jacob bestowed upon Joseph every honour. He was given the choice portions of the land. Actually, two portions, like I said. And it was only for Joseph that Jacob actually gave the the bit of land that he bought near Shechem. But Jacob also is not getting carried away. He traces the source of, of Joseph's success right back to God. And, and Jacob wants Joseph to continue to remember where it all comes from. Joseph is, is basically saying, he says, remember that he comes from, in verse 24, the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd. We looked at the last one. The rock of Israel. That's where everything comes from. It's not from you. It's not because you're a good boy and, and all of that. You had your morals and all of that. No, 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 no. The hands of the mighty one of Jacob, the the shepherd, the rock. He is the source of jo- Joseph's ability to prevail, to persevere, to continue, to not give up. How do you trace God's blessing on your life? Maybe you've had a difficult life and you've come through. That's why you're here. Can you trace, can you see God's hand upon your life despite all the difficulties, despite all the injustice that you've suffered and all the suffering and all of that? Can you see... God's hand. We cannot stand, we cannot come through any of our circumstances, any of the difficulties in life, if it wasn't for God's power in our lives during those difficult days. You cannot do it alone. You will not do it alone. I can tell you that. But as we all know, as we all know, We've been through those times and, we, and, and we've been through those difficult days and then there's, there's a time of, of prosperity and blessing and comfort and, and all of that and, and we just want to bask in it and enjoy it and, and it's good man. Let me tell you that some of the greatest challenges in your life will come in the time of prosperity not adversity. Prosperity in prosperity there's a greater temptation to forget the Lord to rely on your own strength to, to almost believe that you can you're a genius, that you can mark your own destiny that it's always going to be good it's always going to be like this you need to remember that when God blesses you and he may bless you immeasurably in this coming year material things, spiritual things if he does give him praise, give thanks to him in everything, always remember where it comes from also remember that the God given blessings of the future whatever good God has given you here is nothing is nothing compared to what he has prepared for us in the next life as well. All glory be to him in all circumstances. May God's name be praised. Amen.